Indeed, Father, we will praise your name forevermore. We have been gripped by your majesty and your glory. We're in awe in your presence. And as we sing these songs that praise your name, our hearts are so gripped. We are so hungry for you. We need you. We want more of you, Father. We praise you, Jesus, in spirit. And we ask that you will be with us as we look at your word. May we not only be hearers, but may we be doers of your word. May we leave this place transformed, gripped by your gospel, further fuel to keep accomplishing this glorious mission of making and the other disciples for you and your glory, Jesus. So we ask for your blessing in this time. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. From my observations, many people tend to confuse theoretical or academic knowledge with actual experiential knowing that can be applied in real life. And there really is a very big difference between knowing what to do and being able to actually do it. Those are two very different things. And kind of like when I was 17 years old and I was learning how to drive, I went to driving school and I passed the exam, written exam very easily, passed it the first time, and so academically I knew how to drive. But once I actually sat in the vehicle and sat behind the wheel, I realized something. I had no idea how to actually drive a car. The state of Texas had no business giving me a license to operate a motor vehicle. I crashed into all sorts of stationary objects, fire hydrants, poles, fences were, were all fair game. Even my, at the time, girlfriend's vehicle, I crashed her blazer, and yet she still married me, which sometimes I, I wonder why. All I can say it's just God's grace. I had to learn how to actually put the theoretical academic knowledge into practice and know how to actually do it. And this is true for every area of our life. It's not just driving a vehicle. It is following Jesus. It has to be applied in real life. It can't just be theoretical, intellectual, academic knowledge. There's a difference between intellectually knowing about Jesus, knowing the Bible stories from growing up in church, knowing what the different books Bible are, being able to recite all 66 books in sequence. There's a difference between knowing facts and theology about Jesus, there's a big difference with that, and having a profound knowing Jesus, actually knowing him. And so knowing the facts can simply be empty words on a page. We are called to know deeply and to experience a person. You see, Christianity is not a principle that we just adhere to or to live by. 
Christianity is not a collection of teachings by a very good, wise teacher. It's not just a religion that you choose to adhere to. It's not just a lofty ideal that humanity can strive towards. Christianity is not that. See, the meaning of life could not be found in philosophy or in religion. The meaning of life is about a person. True faith is focused on a person. Our purpose for existing is found in a person who is to be experienced, a person that we are to enter into a relationship with. And it's this person that desires to know all people. And so anyone, anywhere, from any background can know this person. And his name is Jesus. And throughout his life on this earth, he had many one-on-one conversations with individual people. He had many people that he encountered while he was living on this earth. And these encounters that he had with real-life people, just like you and me, yes, they lived 2,000 years ago, but they were human just as much as you and I are, real people. When Jesus spoke to them and he entered into relationships with these people, he encountered them where they were. And, and these stories, these accounts in the New Testament, in the Gospels, that, that have recorded these conversations are among the most powerful passages in the Word of God. There is such life and power in the Bible. It's alive and it's active. And so we must not ever read the Bible as though it's just a book. This is the inspired living Word of God and the conversations that Jesus had with people is the same kind of conversations that he continues to have with people today. And we are desperate to encounter Jesus. And Jesus meets us where we are just like he was meeting people in the first century where they were. Today we begin a new series called Encountering Jesus. We're going to meditate on various conversations that Jesus had with individual people. And we'll focus it on just one gospel in the Gospel of John. And Jesus meets us today right where we are. Through conversations that he had, we're going to see through this series that there were people that, that were just so uncertain and were broken and were struggling with sin or grieving from loss or felt helpless or thought all hope was lost. And that's where they were at. And Jesus met them right there. And he meets us in the much the same way. And my prayer leading up to this morning with this new series has been that we will look mercy in the eyes. May you see Jesus. I don't want you to have more academic information. I want you to see Jesus. May we look into the eyes of mercy, and may we truly feel and experience this love that only Jesus can provide. For some people, Jesus has just been made far too small. They know about him, but 
it's not actually impacting their thoughts, their desires, their words, and their actions. Because Jesus is just too small. So we need to see him for who he is and truly know him and have that go so deep down into our soul that it begins to bubble open, that impacts every area of our lives. And so let's begin with John 1, where Jesus encountered a man named Nathaniel. And Nathaniel was struggling, we'll see here in a minute, with his doubts. He was doubting Jesus. And so this sermon, this first in the series, is titled, Jesus Overcomes Our Doubts. So let's see how Jesus meets us in our skepticism, in our uncertainty, in our disbelief, or yes, our doubts. So we're in John chapter 1, looking at verses 43 through 51, and the words are on the screen. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Amen. When you read this story of Nathaniel coming face to face and encountering Jesus in verse 43 and following, remember something. There are 42 verses that have come before verse 43. So there is a context that we can't miss. Jesus, in the first 42 verses of John 1, has been described as, in verse 1, as the Word. That's what it says, the beginning was the Word. So as the Word, Jesus is revealing God. He is the final revelation of God. So God reveals through His Word, and Jesus is being here described as the Word who reveals God. He is the final and complete revelation of the Father. But God's word is also how God accomplishes his purposes. And so God spoke, and that's how he created. And so now, in redemption, God is speaking through Jesus and accomplishing redemption. And so creation and redemption are accomplished through the word. And so Jesus here is a revelation who is accomplishing God's purposes, and so he is called the word. But then also in verse 1 he says, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so he's being described as the Word. He's been described as God. Jesus is God. It says it in verse 1. He is divine. He's called in verse 29, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Jesus is 
the one who is our sacrifice. He is our substitute who died in our place and took our shame and our guilt on the cross. And so we are able to have forgiveness only because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. He is the Lamb of God. We can be reconciled to God now. He's called the Messiah in verse 41. It says, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And so Jesus is a fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. So the Jewish scriptures all pointed to Jesus. He is the anointed one. He is the chosen one to accomplish God's purposes. He is the appointed Savior, the suffering servant, the Son of Man. All of these promises is Jesus. He is Messiah. And so when you read Nathaniel encountering Jesus, you can't forget the context. Jesus is not just a good man or a good teacher or a prophet. He's not that. He's far more than that. He is God in the flesh. And so when he's encountering Nathaniel, Nathaniel is coming face to face with So we must have in our minds who Jesus is for who he is. And so he comes face to face with him. But before that, you have the story of Philip, who Jesus goes to Philip, and he says, follow me. Now, this is important. It's very important to note that you have Jesus looking for Philip. You have Jesus looking and then finding him and then saying, you, Philip, come follow me. And so then Philip is friends with Nathaniel. Well, how do we know that? Well, there are four lists in the New Testament that have all the disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and also in Acts. It has a list of the 12. Now, in those four lists, there's a man named Bartholomew, but Nathaniel's name doesn't appear in the list. And the reason why is that Nathaniel's surname, his title was Bartholomew, which means son of Ptolemy. And so Bar just means son of. And so Bartholomew just is describing his title that he's Nathaniel Bartholomew. Bartholomew. And so that's his full name is Nathaniel Bartholomew. And we know in this same, very same book, John 21 verse 2, it says that Nathaniel was from a very small town called Cana, which is also, if you go to the very next chapter, the first place where Jesus did his first miracle, changing water to wine, was in Cana. That's where Nathanael was from. So Nathanael was from Galilee, which is the northern region that is, again, north of Jerusalem. Now, this, this area of Galilee was mostly rural. It, it consisted of many small towns and villages. People in Galilee were not elite. They were not educated They were not the well-to-do of the world. They were the farmers. They were the fishermen. That's just who they were in the north in Galilee. And so kind of knowing some of this context, who Nathaniel was, that he's from Cana, and he's friends with Philip. It says here again in verse 43. We just read it. So the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Again, this is important because what you have is Jesus choosing to do this. He is looking for Philip. And when he says, follow me, this is an act of love. This is an act of mercy. 
Because from the beginning here, he was the one actively looking for him, and he found him. And he says, Philip, come, enter into a relationship with me. He didn't say, come, choose this religion. He didn't say that. He didn't say, Philip, follow this philosophy. What he said is, focus on me. Come know me. Come follow me. And he does. And so then what does he do immediately? He says in verse 44, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of, of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael. So here you have a new believer. He just met Jesus. And the first thing he does is go to his friend to bring him to Jesus. He gets, finds Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of, so that means the entire Old Testament, the entire Jewish scriptures. We found him of who the prophets wrote about. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And so I love this picture of he runs to get his friend to bring him to Jesus. Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We, we know that. But the Old Testament never mentioned Nazareth. So it did mention Bethlehem being the, the city of David. So this is a city of kings. And 700 years earlier, through the prophet Micah, God had already promised that the king would be born, the Messiah, the Savior, would come from Bethlehem. Again, seven centuries before. But, it, it, but that was not Nazareth. And so when you have here Philip telling Nathaniel, the Messiah is from Nazareth. He doesn't get it. Nathaniel's thinking, okay, Nazareth is a small, unimpressive, rural town where no one who was anyone would come from Nazareth. And so Nathaniel had heard about Jesus, not from his trusted friend Philip. But what does he say in verse 46? It's kind of humorous. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He just, it's inconceivable. He's like, no, the Messiah can't come from there. That's wrong town. It's the wrong side of the tracks. That's just, that's, that can't be. And so in his mind, he is doubting. But what's so interesting about human nature is remember where Nathaniel was from. He's also from Galilee, a town a few miles away. He, he was from a pretty equally unimpressive town himself. He wasn't from Jerusalem. And yet, even though he was from an unimpressive area, he looked further down on Nazareth. And that's what we do as humans. We look down on other people. There must have been some kind of like a rivalry. We don't know exactly why. You have Nathaniel looking down on Nazareth, but point is that he was not impressed. And Nathaniel doubted. He did not believe that the Messiah could possibly be from Nazareth. Now his problem deep inside was intellectual pride. He looked down on people that maybe hadn't reached his level of understanding or his level of learnedness. I mean, I can just hear Nathaniel now. Can, can you just hear him? So you're telling me that a guy from over there, from there, he has all the answers to all our big questions of this day? Uh, I don't think so. 
Jesus from Nazareth? Really? No. Can you, on some level, relate? Maybe you're here today because someone invited you, or you were just curious to see the camels and the church in the zoo. And you're here, and, and this is so new to you, and you're just kind of searching, but you don't, you don't actually believe that Jesus is God and that he came to save you and that you have no hope apart from completely trusting in Jesus and you're trusting in something else or you think that it doesn't really matter or this is just a bunch of religious mumbo-jumbo or you have your own thoughts on it, but you're being like Nathaniel saying, Jesus, really? I don't, I don't know about that. But maybe you're in the room and you are a believer, as I want to believe that most of us are, that we do trust in Jesus and we are born again and that we truly do believe that Jesus is the Son of God and we do trust him for our salvation and we are seeking to follow him. But even then, you still have your own doubts. And I don't know what your doubts are rooted in. It might not be like Nathaniel with intellectual pride, but maybe you've had a very serious situation that's been very painful to you and that you're losing sleep at night and you have this knot in your stomach kind of like all the time. It's just kind of always there. Or, or your chest just feels tight all the time. And there's this heaviness about you. Or maybe there's something else in your, maybe it's your marriage that has been really struggling here as of late. And it's passionless and there's not much love and it really isn't very satisfying. And she finds herself really doubting. Really, can Jesus actually deliver me? Can Jesus really do what, what the Bible says he can do? In the face of uncertainty or of pain, oftentimes we can doubt. Whatever the circumstances, I can tell you this, that's causing you to doubt. Jesus really is stronger. He is stronger than your doubt. Jesus really is better. And he can deliver you from whatever it is that you're going through. He really can restore you. He can. But we must rest in him. But maybe you're thinking to yourself today, well, I've heard that Jesus is mighty to save, and we sing that song, and, and I've heard that his grace is sufficient, and I've heard you say that Jesus can transform and change me, but I don't see it. I'm just not seeing that in my life. We have to be honest with ourselves. I think sometimes Christians, what we tend to do is we just lie to ourselves. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Liar. If you're not good, just be honest. Say, no, I'm bad. I'm not good. I'm having a hard time. I'm really struggling here. And then just come clean and be honest. If you're having a hard time, Jesus already knows we, we ought not be hiding it. We, we need to be honest. Stop lying to ourselves and come clean and say, hey, I'm, I'm doubting. I'm, I'm really struggling here. And stop the pretending Everything is okay. I have Jesus. 
if you're, if you're having our time, we need to be honest with each other and come clean with ourselves and with God. We have to know and truly believe that Jesus will meet us wherever we are, even in our deepest of doubts. I love the answer that Philip gives his friend Nathaniel. Nathaniel is doubting. No, Jesus can't be the Messiah. He can't be who you say he is. And the answer is awesome. He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't. You know what he says? Come and see. Just come. Come and just see Jesus. That's it. That's all you have to do. And we need to hear those words afresh today. If you're struggling, if, if you're doubting that Jesus can satisfy your soul that is so thirsty and hungry, my only words to you are come and see. Come and see Jesus. See what he can do. See how he will encounter you. And he absolutely can. And if you will trust him, he will deliver and restore and affirm you. Let me give you the main idea of this text that we've been talking about already. The primary truth of this story of encountering Nathaniel is that Jesus overcomes our deepest doubts with truth. And so we've been seeing the first half of this, this paragraph, the story of, of the doubts. And yet, now we're going to see the second half where Jesus begins to speak, and we see how Jesus overcomes our doubts with truth. So the time we have remaining we want to look at Jesus' response to Nathaniel. And we're going to see how he encounters us and how he delivers us even from our doubts. And so there's three primary truths from Jesus' words. And the first one is, is that Jesus sees you and still loves you. This is a profound truth that you have to know and believe and internalize and meditate on. And then his spirit will deliver you from the doubting that Jesus sees you and still loves you. You see this in verse 47 and 48. Jesus said to Nathanael, he saw him coming towards him. He says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So you see, Jesus sees him coming, and he says, I, I've seen you. I know you. And so you have this profound situation where Nathaniel is coming. Jesus sees him, and he says, you're an Israelite indeed. Now, that's actually a huge compliment because Jesus was telling Nathaniel that he had true faith, that he really did have faith in God. So he had not even met Jesus yet. He's just walking to meet Jesus. But he clearly had an open, seeking heart. And so Romans 8, 6 tells us that for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And so there were people that were ethnically, biologically Israel. They were Jewish. But they didn't have faith in Messiah, in Jesus. And so true Israel are those people that are trusting in the Messiah, the King of Israel, Jesus. So by saying this is a true Israelite, he's saying he has true faith. He is a believer. He is someone that is trusting in God. And so, again, he had not even met Jesus yet. But even before that, Jesus had already seen him under a fig tree. Now, we don't know exactly what 
Nathaniel was doing under that fig tree. But it was a fairly common thing in the first century for Jewish scholars to sit under a fig tree and study Torah, study the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures. They, they would study. That was just a common thing. And so it's possible, again, we don't know, but it's possible that what he was doing was he was reading the Bible, that he was praying, and he was pouring out his heart to God. He was, he was obviously from this encounter, Nathaniel was having some sort of a spiritual experience that only God would know about, something where he was maybe just really in deep conversation with God over something in his life. Whatever it was, it was important to Nathaniel. And it was something that had to do with, with worshiping God. And then Jesus says, I saw you. And so being God, he knew about this, this private conversation that Nathaniel was having with God. And so this was profound for Nathaniel to realize that Jesus knew about that exchange with God. Now, we've already seen Nathaniel's personality, and it's brief, but, but we, we get a glimpse of what this man was like, what kind of person he was like. I mean, one thing we know is that he speaks his mind, right? His friend says, let's go see Jesus, and he was like, whatever. Like, he, he wasn't this quiet, timid, reserved person. He was the kind of person who shares his opinions openly before they're asked. And so this is the kind of person who probably is a truth teller. We all know the type, right? He's the kind of person that always speaks truth and tells you what they think, even though you didn't really want to hear what they think. This is, this is his personality. Oftentimes, we think that that can be a harsh personality type because it's maybe a lot of truth and maybe sometimes not enough grace. We need to balance truth and grace. If you speak only grace and no truth, then you don't help anyone. But if you speak all truth with no grace, then you hurt people. And so it's like trying to have open heart surgery without anesthesia. You're going to kill the patient. And so truth is, yes, you need the surgery, but you have to have the grace. You have to have the anesthesia. So you need both grace and truth. And this kind of personality probably was more weighted towards a lot of truth and not enough grace. But even Jesus says, there's no deceit in you. You're an honest person. And so Jesus sees him. He sees his flaws. Nathaniel wasn't perfect. He's like us, a flawed, broken human who likely struggled with having grace for people. He spoke truth all the time. And yet Jesus sees him down to his core, his soul. He sees all of his fears, his failures, his struggles, his deepest, darkest secrets. He sees all of Nathaniel. And he's kind. And he loves him. And the same is true of you. Jesus sees you. Your brokenness. Your deepest fears and your greatest struggles, and your profound pain, and your most terrifying failures. He sees all that you are, and yet he loves you deeply and has been pursuing you and desires you to know him. Do you believe this? Do you honestly believe that Jesus, who is God in the flesh desperately loves 
you and has been merciful to you. We must focus on this truth. We have to focus on it. Are you truly in awe of the greatest love that you could ever possibly experience? A love that you cannot earn and that you do not deserve. Have we gotten so used to it that we aren't even in awe of it anymore? When you are assaulted by life, assaulted by doubt, you pray, you talk to Jesus, and be reminded that he sees you, all your fears and failures, and yet he has an undying love for you. This is the first truth to overcome doubt. Number two is that Jesus is greater. He really is greater. Verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And so he's stunned. He, he's realizing here who Jesus really is. He says, Jesus, you are the son of God. Now, this does not mean that God had a son like humans have sons. It's not like God got married, had a wife, and had a son named Jesus. It's not, that's not what it says in the Bible. Jesus is eternal, and, and, and the beginning was the word, and so he, he hasn't ever had a beginning. In the Bible, when you read son of, it describes character. For example, two brothers or disciples, James and John, they're called sons of thunder. Why? Because they were very aggressive people. And so because of, of their, their aggressive personality, their character, they're called sons of thunder because thunder kind of characterized their personality. And so when you have Jesus, Son of God, it's describing that Jesus' very character is God. Jesus is divine, and he is worthy of our bowing down to him and worshiping him. And then it says that Jesus is the king, and so he is Son of God. He is the king. It means that he is worthy of our allegiance and worthy of our obedience and our, our affection. So we're, we're commanded to obey, but to treasure Jesus. And so what you have here with these titles, Son of God and King of Israel, these, these two titles are describing preeminence and ruling authority, his position of being the King and the Son of God. And so Jesus is greater. He really is stronger. He is supreme. And so we must see the, the surpassing greatness of Jesus. Well, what is he greater than? He, he, well, he's greater than your fears. He's greater than your failures of your pain, greater than your addictions. He's greater than whatever situation you're going through. He's greater than your doubts. He is sovereign. He is the sovereign. He is the king. We have to know and believe who Jesus is, that he loves us even though he knows everything about us and that he really is greater. Is your soul healthy? And I, I don't ask that question lightly because I ask myself that question every day. I so desperately want to be healthy. Is your soul healthy? Where do you run to for comfort or for joy? Is your soul at rest? We live in a world that is so fast-paced, and we can all be so task-oriented. But is your soul at rest? 
Are you honestly entrusting your soul to Jesus? We must spend time reading his word slowly and quietly, meditating on it, praying, just talking to Jesus, but then throughout the day in communion with him, pouring out your heart to Jesus. Does that characterize your life? Do you look into the eyes of Jesus and see that he loves you? You have to look and, and see that he really is The third truth here that overcomes her doubt as we wind down is that Jesus brings us near to God. He sees you and he still loves you. He really is greater and he brings us to God. You see it in the last two verses of this chapter. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus told Nathaniel, your doubts are gone so quickly, and now you trust me just because I said I saw you under a fig tree? Just wait. You ain't seen nothing yet. I have so much more to show you. I am the complete revelation of God. And here he alludes to Genesis 28, if you remember that story. Jacob, one of the patriarchs, had a vision. And he, in this dream, he sees angels ascending and descending to heaven on a ladder. And so heaven and earth are joined in this place. And he wakes up and he calls it Bethel, which means house of God. So Jacob was allowed to see the, the gate, in, like a doorway into heaven. And so Jesus picks up the imagery and he's saying, I am the ladder. So Jesus is that ladder that takes us to heaven. Jesus is the gateway to heaven. And so he alone can bring us near to God. That's what he does. And we have no hope of knowing God apart from Jesus. And so Jesus calls himself here son of man. You know, that is actually a prophecy from 600 years before his birth through the prophet Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Let me read this to you. Again, the prophecy about the coming son of man. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Amen. So what you see here is Jesus is this promised son of man who is a man, but he's an exalted man. He's a divine man who will come down from heaven and rule over all the nations for eternity. So Jesus is this promised son of man who is a conquering king. And once and for all, he will deal the final death blow to Satan and to sin and to death itself and we will be with him for eternity with no more fears and no more struggles and no more pain and no more brokenness and that is coming and it's real and we have a taste of it 
right here and right now with his spirit living in us. And as we follow him in community, we, we are seeing this. Yes, it's only a shadow, but it's real. And it points to what one day be fully accomplished when he comes back for us. And so we can draw near to God now. We don't need to have any doubts. On the cross, he made a way. By taking away our shame and our guilt, he paid it all. And he can fill your empty soul. So daily, we have to remember this awesome privilege of drawing near to God. And this should change everything in our lives. It should impact our marriages, our, our parenting, our work. Everything about how we live should be impacted by the reality that we can rest in Jesus and cast our souls unto him. So, so I'm not saying try harder at all. I'm not, I'm not saying in your own strength, be a better Christian. That's not all what I'm saying. You know what that will lead to? More doubt. That's all that's going to do. I'm saying entrust your soul to Jesus. No more games. No more pretending. Just resting in him. Knowing you Jesus, there is no greater thing. We sing it. We believe it. Know Jesus. Know him more deeply. And then he will give you the strength to walk into the light and to walk in victory. Jesus overcomes our deepest doubts with truth. Will you come and see? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, the gift of your spirit that illuminates the truths to us. Thank you for the gift of being here together in your name to praise you, to hear your word. I lift up right now anyone in this room that has never understood this, has never trusted in you. May you weigh so heavy on them and may they with all their hearts repent and trust in you even now, Father. And for those of us that do know you, I pray that you would grip us with your truth and may we be spurred on to continue following you with no doubting, knowing that you, Jesus, are better. And we just pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.